Stop it! Don't open that door! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. We hope you had a fantastic holiday here in the United States. We had Thanksgiving on Thursday and the greater holiday, Black Friday, on Friday. So we hope you were able to spend some time with friends or family and buy lots of really great cheap-ass video games. Caleb, happy mm-hmm. post-Thanksgiving, tryptophan-induced, comatic... <laughs> Masters of Unlocking to you. Uh, and to you as well. I definitely uh, tripped the thin fantastic a little bit this uh, this this weekend. So I, I'm, a, I'm still probably a little lethargic, but you know what? I think if there's anything that can get me out of this uh, uh, turkey-induced coma, it would be talking about video games with, mm. with VG Collectaholic. So I, I, am, I am very excited uh, to dig into all of the cool cool news that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, we've got quite a bit of stuff on tap here. We've actually got a listener question submitted, so that we're going to dive into that. We've got our typical current events where we talk about mostly the business of video games this episode. And then we're going to get into our main event and talk about the upcoming 2017 Game Awards. We're going to go over the categories, talk about the games that are nominated, and some of our ideas and thoughts on who should win in each category mm-hmm. so i'm excited yeah it should be a should be a good episode here before we get into the episode we are running a contest on the twitters it's easy you can win a free game free as in zero dollars and it's a physical game because we're giving it away it's not some crappy digital download <laughs> you can have a chance to win your choice of the fire emblem warriors special edition for the nintendo switch the Metroid Samus Returns Special Edition for the Nintendo 3DS, the Gears of War Collection, or sorry, the Gears of War 4 Ultimate Edition Steelbook on Xbox One, or the Final Fantasy 12 Steelbook Edition on PlayStation 4. And how do you enter, Caleb might ask? Uh, oh, wait, wait, I got this. How do you enter? You know, I was waiting for you to ask, Caleb. <laughs> I really want to enter because I, I want to win all of those. And I assume that there's no rules against me entering, right? Oh, oh there, we have no rules. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Entry is really easy. All you have to do is go hit us up on Twitter at podcast. And we have a pinned tweet right at the top of our Twitter profile. Give us a follow and retweet that pinned tweet about the contest and then go on to your podcast listening platform of choice whether it's itunes google play stitcher what have you leave us a review let us know what you think of the podcast screenshot that review and tweet it to us and you are automatically entered into the contest to win a free game of your choice and we will do the drawing out of all the entrants on our next episode episode 10 of Masters of Unlocking. Entries will have to be submitted and posted to Twitter no later than Thursday, December 7th, 2017 at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, only open to those in the U.S. and Canada. 
Should no. be good. Yeah, yeah. I should giving away and, some and, some quality here. You are, and I think there's a couple things that are worth mentioning here. So, uh, first time listeners to the podcast uh, may not know this because of our our amazing production quality here. We are a very small podcast. Uh, we just we're only on episode nine. We've only been doing this for a, for a relatively little amount of time. And so, obviously, part of this contest is to help get us reviews, help get us uh, awareness, get people talking about us, that sort of thing. And as is the nature with a small podcast, the current number of reviews that we have is not very many. And also, the current number of entrants into this contest is not very many. And, you know, being a new podcast, we don't have a huge audience even to reach out to. So the reason I'm telling you this, not... Uh, not a woe is us kind of story by any means, though if you want to give us a hug when you see us, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm a hugger. I, I, that's fine with me. It's mostly just to say that if you enter, there's you have really good chances. <laughs> um, you, your chances are very, very good at this point. Uh, so I definitely recommend you do that. In fact, we would not be offended if uh, so that you don't forget to leave us a review and enter this contest. Go ahead and do it now. You don't have to listen to the rest of this episode right now. Come back to the episode. It'll always be here. But your mind space occupying the uh, task to uh, submit a review and enter this contest uh, is fleeting. Um, That's how we as humans operate. We don't store a lot of information in our long-term memory. It's very hard to do that. So please, while you're thinking about it, go ahead and give us a review. That would be fantastic. Um, And if you're listening to the episode uh, this far into it, then obviously you enjoy it. Uh, So it would make sense to leave a review. We would really, really appreciate that. So thank you so much. And and the last thing I'll mention too, just because I think Scott is is too humble to mention it, these aren't, you know, we we don't have connections to publishers and developers and things like that. So it's not as though we have a box of games that we can give away for free on air because we're so great and we have this huge audience. No, these, uh, I'm assuming here because Scott hasn't said it, but I don't know where else they would come from. These are games that were purchased by Scott's own filthy money. So he, uh, this is not, you know, this genuinely is something where we're giving a piece of our, well, Scott's giving a piece of himself to the listeners. And, and so sounds so dirty when you put it that way, <laughs> everything you do is dirty. I've, I've learned this, um, whether you mean for it to be that way or not, it's a fact. Uh, it is. It's a, it's a fact. It's a fact. So. Yeah. Yeah. End Caleb's rant. Yeah. So, you know, what are you waiting for? Go, go put us on pause. We'll wait here. We'll be back mm-hmm. when you come back. Don't forget yeah. to tweet. Don't forget to tweet so we know what's up and know where to look because we got different That's platforms. That's very important. iTunes, Google Play. We got to know where to look for this stuff. So That's extremely important. Yes, yes. The part about proving that you actually left the re- left the review is extremely important. That's crucial. Because that's that's sort of how you're officially entered. Yep. Um, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Cool. Now that that's out of the way and now they've all come back, now, thank you for the review. Thanks mm-hmm. for entry. Good luck to those <laughs> who uh, have followed our advice and gotten into the entry. And... On the note of getting games, what have you picked up recently, Caleb? Uh, I've only picked up one game, um, uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Uh, why did I pick up this game? There, there's, there was no Black Friday sale associated with it. There was no, uh, this game's been out forever. There's no reason I should have bought it. But my, I was kind of missing good games to play with my, my two sons. I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And uh, this was one of those games that I knew that they would like and it would be a lot of fun for us. And with with Thanksgiving coming up, I also thought there would be some opportunity for me to bring my Switch to uh, my my, uh, aunt's house, which is where we had Thanksgiving. And have some fun play sessions there, and we did. It was like a it was like a Switch commercial. It was really kind of crazy and fun. So that's the only game I picked up uh, this time. Um, And so this is probably the one episode where I'm as close to zero in terms of picking up new games and I longtime listeners will know that I had uh, told everyone that I was a bit on, on a bit of a game buying hiatus and that was 
absolutely not uh, that was not seen through on my end. Um, and so I apologize to everyone that I promised that I was on a game buying high. Yeah, the minute the minute after you said that, your game buying really hockey stick. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> you know what? It, that's that's not even untrue. Like it literally got. I bought more games during that time than I had <laughs> in the past. So. I don't know what happened. Uh, better, better luck next year, I guess. What about you? What have you been uh, playing? What have you picked up lately? Well, we're just not good at follow through. That's, <laughs> that's, that's really what we're learning here. Hey, we're on episode nine. That's true. I mean, we're following through on that, at least. you know, Pretty impressive. So what have I picked up? I have picked up not a whole lot of things as I was saving and, and looking forward to doing more research and getting ready for Black Friday. So none of my pickups here are Black Friday things, but more things that I just had on pre-order throughout the year. Uh, The Axiom Verge Multiverse Edition. Uh, Axiom Verge is a sort of Metroidvania-style action platformer um, that finally got a physical release. And I believe a couple episodes back, this was one that Caleb was mentioning, and I was thinking, oh, I didn't even really know that was out yet because you had been playing the digital version, which I didn't know existed. Well, I I might have mentioned it. I hadn't yet played Axiom Verge, though. Okay. So it might have been. I was probably talking about it in the sense that it looks amazing, and I really, really, really want to play it as well. Um, so now that the physical edition is out, I probably will go and play it. Usually if the if if the game is only on digital, I don't mind picking it up. If it's on both, then I'll usually defer to physical. Gotcha. Um, and one thing about this game that I, that I actually just learned is the publisher um, is donating 75% of their profit share to healthcare for the developer the developer's son, Axiom Verge's developers, the developer of Axiom Verge, his son apparently has some health issues, and the publisher is donating seventy five percent of their profit share to uh, that cause. So if if this was a game that interested you, now would be a great time to buy it. Yeah, really, really cool way to sort of get into the extra life spirit here in November. A lot of folks are doing mm-hmm. extra life. I know the Cartridge Club has a, a big stream going on, and Canadian Retro did a big uh, cart- uh, extra life thing, and extra life raises money for uh, children's hospitals. And it's kind of cool that uh, a lot of the charity stuff going on in the gaming world. We get too mm-hmm. much too much bad press in the gaming world with things like Gamergate and um, you know, the the loot box stuff, and it's good to see some some good stories every once in a while here. It's almost like we should have dedicated the episode to those good stories rather than uh, what the listener will find out. Oh yeah, most of our episode is about we got a lot <laughs> of about... bad stories coming up. Yeah. So get excited yeah. for that, folks. So what have you been playing? You know, buying and playing don't always correlate. So what kind of games have you been playing lately? I did pop in one of my new pickups. Uh, I also picked up Road Rage for the P- PlayStation Four, and this was one that I was really excited about it's it looked like a road rash reboot um obviously it didn't carry the road rash name because they don't have the license for it but it was definitely pitched as a spiritual successor or a a throwback to the old 16-bit road rash games before that franchise sort of went off the 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 road so to speak (laughs) and this game is squarely in the ditch (laughs) <laughs> there is no going back onto the road, uh, no throwback to Road Rash whatsoever. I made it through maybe five or ten minutes before <laughs> I, I, I shut it off, put the disc back in its case, and just put it on a shelf never to see the light of day again. It's so god-awful. <laughs> I, re- I, read, I remember seeing your tweets about it. I felt for you on that. I'm it, sorry. It's horrific. It's like somebody took a, a PlayStation 2 game, um, stripped out anything worthwhile, and 
like made it upscaled it to 1080p and put it on PlayStation 4 and just released it. It's <laughs> not good. Not good. The controls are awful. The combat is horrendous. It's more open world racer than like a road rash type game. It's it's like if somebody stripped out all of the fun parts of Grand Theft Auto and just left you with like the shittiest parts of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> that's road rage. <laughs> so that's so if if you were if uh, this comes out on Switch and people are playing it portably, there's a good chance that it could elicit its own titular reaction, right? Yes, absolutely. Some, Some people being beat with switches if if that happens. <laughs> so that that was a very, very, very brief appearance on my playlist for, for these two weeks. And then um, after having finished up Assassin's Creed Origins, I finished up the Platinum Trophy on that, and then I dove back into South Park Fractured Butthole. Um, so that is my current long play to give a nod to Polykill Podcast Guys. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. How are you liking it so far? I am really enjoying it. I like the little the little throwbacks to Stick of Truth that are in it and little nods back. <laughs> but I'm I'm probably only maybe two hours or so into the to the game, but thoroughly enjoying it. Good, 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 yeah. And I You I finished just, it, right? I did, yeah. And I, I it really picked up for me about halfway through, so Knowing that you are already enjoying it, and you're just a couple hours in. It only gets better. Oh, great! From, from that point forward, so yeah, it's it took a it took a little while for me to really latch onto it because I was during the play, uh, unfairly comparing it at every step of the way to uh, the Stick of Truth, um, and I realized that's I realized that's unfair because the Stick of Truth existed in a very unique scenario. It was it was it was new and, and surprising in a lot of ways, and part of its success was due to the fact that it did hit so many surprise. It was so surprising in a lot of different ways. Um, not just the fact that it was a good game, but the fact that it was a good South Park game. Uh, the fact that it was cr- more crude than really anything people have probably seen in a while. And all of these things just made a perfect game experience. Um, I, fir- I firmly believe that if, uh, if the uh, Fractured Butthole had come out first and the Stick of Truth was the second game, the opinions would be completely swapped. You know, people would be looking at the Fractured Butthole as this amazing, great experience, and they would be looking at the Stick of Truth as, oh, a, a ho-hum follow-up, because that's kind of the the, the mentality of uh, Fractured Butthole right now is that it was a ho-hum follow-up. Uh, but it, I, I think it, as long as you divorce yourself from – if you look at it as its own thing – um, it's nothing but great. So excellent. Well, I'm left, definitely looking forward to finishing it up. How long of a game is it? Do you know, like in terms of just um, time to beat it? You know what? Actually, uh, there's this fantastic little website that uh, only I apparently know about called. Uh, <laughs> that sounded like really snotty and like snide and like, oh, let me Google that for you. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I did not mean for it to come out that way. It's uh, um, there's... Hipster Caleb makes an appearance in episode <laughs> nine of Master of um, Hawking. The, uh, I-, I love the website, How Long to Beat. That was the website I was going to mention. Um, it's, it's a website I go to almost anytime I have a new game to start. Like if I have a, I, you know, I have a backlog of 10 games, let's say, and which game do I want to play, I inevitably will pick the shortest game on the list unless there's a, a different draw or a different reason for me to navigate to uh, one of the games. And so anyway, a small little plug for howlongtobeat.com. I love that game, or I love that site. But uh, let's see, it was uh, South Park, The Fractured Butthole. Um, it took me about 20 hours. I'm looking at it right now. So a good a good chunky game. Yeah, I'm just checking out the, the site right now. They have a... a 
little spot here on the front page where you can enter in your Steam ID, and it will mm-hmm. tell you how long it will take to beat your entire Steam collection. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would definitely yeah. be a, a depressing thought, I'm sure. <laughs> it would. It would. So I, I, I know you and I, uh, we have different apps that we use to keep, uh, keep up on our game libraries. Uh, yours is a very, very uh, elaborate and well-suiting for your collectaholic endeavors. Uh, and mine is a much uh, more limited uh, app called uh, My Game Collection. But one of the things that I love about this app is that it actually will aggregate or pull in data directly from how long to beat. So I can I can literally sort all of my unplayed games by how long to beat and find out which one I should kind of play next. That's that's sort of a make or break feature for any game library organization app that I ever look at in the future is I, I'm just addicted to this how long to beat metric. So that's all I, that's all I was going to say. Interesting. Well, that, that's great. Uh, the last the, the, the thing that I needed most in my life was something else to get addicted to. So thank <laughs> you for the, the tip there. No problem. <laughs> what uh, what about you? What have what have you been playing? I have been uh, playing Wolfenstein 2. Uh, I finished that. Uh, a few days ago, and it was it's a, it's amazing. It's so, it's so great. Um, I will say that I probably prefer the uh, New Order, so the first game a little bit more, but I'm very willing to acknowledge that that could be just because uh, I, I nostalgia has already kicked in, right? I already have forgotten some of the weaker parts of that game, and I only remember the great stuff. And Wolfenstein 1 was just such a, an amazing experience that I'm probably holding it upon a pedestal that maybe I shouldn't necessarily do. Um, but Wolfenstein two, just, I think, I think I was so in love with Wolfenstein one's, uh, seriousness to its story, even though it was crazy in a lot of ways and, and, in a very weird, uh, story, it was a very serious, heartfelt kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfenstein two gets rid of that a little bit. Um, it's still very story driven, but it also, uh, kind of, uh, dives into the pulpy world a little bit more. Um, and I think that's a great charm and I think it works. I think it was just, wasn't what I was expecting. So, you know, confirmation bias sets in and the first time I see this little pulpy section that I'm, that I don't like, then I start looking at the entire game through this pulpy lens and it probably ruined it for me a little bit. But I will say, even with that in in mind, it's still going to be one of my top games of this year easily, um, probably in the top three or four games this year. So, um, still a great, great experience. Uh, I did also finish um, Adam's Venture Origin just today, which is a Soadesco game, or published by Soadesco. I think it's uh, developed by, I think it's with a V, I think. I can't remember the name of them. But it really doesn't matter because the game's not great. Um, it's charming. It's fun. Uh, it has its moments. But uh, it's definitely a Tomb Raider-style knockoff kind of game that um, is terribly written and terribly voiced. And it, part of me wants to. Th- part of me kind of hopes that the game was created in a way that to, to acknowledge those sorts of failures on purpose. But I don't think that. I, I don't think that's the case. But it is one of those experiences where throughout the throughout the playthrough, me as the player, I'm constantly thinking. So, so are they doing that on purpose? I can't tell. Uh, maybe maybe they want it to be that bad. I don't know. Perhaps fitting since the developer is Vertigo Games. V yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to look into see. I'll have to do some digging into to what they do, uh, to any of their games that they put out there. Um, but still, overall a fun experience. I mean, I did complete the game, so you can't complain about a game. Yeah, and still complete it. You know, it so could have been it was too still awful. a lot of fun. It can't be road yeah, rage yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If we ever get into reviews and we have a scale 
road rage is going to be the bottom of the scale. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's a good idea. Um, but yeah, the game isn't buggy by any means. Um, so, you know, it's very competently put together, but it's not much more than competently put together, I should say. <laughs> um, and then the last game that I was playing through uh, was Wonder Boy The Dragon's Trap, which I think is the third Wonder Boy game, if I, if I uh, remember. Um, I say remember. I've never actually played a Wonder Boy game. I guess remember from the time I learned that piece of information. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've, I've never played a Wonder Boy game, and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it was probably... Uh, I think there's some work that can be done on the controls. It's a little slippery. It's a 2D platformer, uh, but it does a lot of cool things that I was not expecting. Um, specifically, one of the things that kind of made me realize that this game, uh, I-, I should pay more attention to it, was when I first realized that uh, the chasms that you would see in most 2D platformers, the the pits that you can fall into and die, um, you don't die when you fall into them. In fact, there's a whole other world, essentially, underground. Oh, really? Uh, which I thought, yeah, I thought that was just kind of a cool idea. I mean, you will, I, I don't think they put this into the game in order to specifically subvert expectations. I think it was, it's an inevitable part to the game. Like, you do have to go into this part at some point. I think the game even tells you, like, you know, it guides you kind of down into the water. But the first time it happens uh, happened, it, there was some knockback damage from an enemy, which, by the way, is almost as bad as, like, Ninja Gaiden-level knockback. I mean, it was really, really bad. Uh, but it pushed me into the into the pit, and uh, I was like, ah, crap. So, you know, I threw my controller in anger and then realized, oh, I, I still need that controller because I'm not dead. Um, so, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't I, – I kind of gave up. It got to a point when it was, it was just too difficult for me, and, and I have – over the years come up with a very fine sense. I, I finally tuned my sense of, of frustration versus fun. And the moment the frustration causes me to stop having fun, I am a hundred percent comfortable with saying I'm done with the game. And that's what happened. I'm just, I was done with it. It doesn't care how close I am to the end. I can be on the final boss and I'm done. Uh, and that's, that's, I think I was probably about three fourths of the way through the game and just kind of stopped, but still very fun for 2d platformer fans. I highly recommend it. Did you do any of the playthrough in, in the retro mode? God, I couldn't, I tried. I, I, I think if had, I played this, uh, there's no amount of gameplay I think that could have made me love the retro version of the game. Even if I was a child playing it, Really? Uh, I know. Yeah. It was, it was just very, it, uh, maybe maybe this is a testament to how good the the updated version looks. You know, I played the updated version for a while, then switched the retro, and it was so jarring that I couldn't do it. So perhaps had I been using the retro version from the beginning, then it would be a whole it would be an entirely different experience. But well, and for for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's got the game has a mode where you can flip it into like a an eight bit style visuals and takes away mm-hmm. all of the updated graphics and the 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 newer art style. So you can flip back and forth between. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new visual or a, a retro visual. And you can do it on the fly, which is really cool. So you don't have to access a menu to do it. You simply press R2 um, on the PS4, and it, it, it just there's a screen wipe that takes place, and then all of a sudden you're in the retro world, which, I, which was a very cool feature because there were definitely points um, as I was playing the game that I thought, I wonder how they did this back then. Uh, I wonder how it looked back then, you know? And of course, every time I'd be disappointed, and I'd realize, oh, that's that's horrible. Why would <laughs> how, how is this game successful? So you know, in different mind state, I guess. Were you playing through the limited run version of the game? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that it's actually being re-released by uh, Nick Alice and as hmm. like a non-limited run version that's going to be available just 
throughout and any retailer. So uh, if you really? d- missed out on the physical edition from Limited Run, um, don't don't go paying eBay prices for it. Just wait, and I think it's uh, in June or something when um, the 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 full fledged cross retailer physical release version comes out. And I think that's coming out for PS4 and I think probably Switch too. Yeah, I think the uh, the I'm looking at, yeah, it looks like there will be a physical um, in January, it says. January uh, 2018, the Switch version will be physical. Oh, so. nice. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it, I'm wondering how much more of that we'll see with limited run games releases. Because I think the limited run contracts, uh, uh, Doug was mentioning, Doug Bogarts from Limited Run was mentioning on Twitter a little bit into how, how that worked. And I think their contracts are only exclusive exclusive and limited for that specific run and then limited run games imposes the and then we're not going to do any more runs of it after that but then i think game publishers could take their or game developers could take their game and publish it on a different publisher's platform um like some of the some of the games have been published or republished in uh, like play asia and available um elsewhere like that but i think this is the first limited run games release that will be re-released in the u.s hmm. that's interesting I, I wonder how what that'll do to the value of the limited run games you know i mean there's still it'll i must i'm anticipating that there should be in uh that there is in limited runs contract that if there is a re-release the you know the cover art variants and all that kind of stuff are still restricted to that particular release right i, I would anticipate that they would at least have that leeway yeah i'm sure they do um, but even even just the availability of it in physical form elsewhere may may hinder just the the popularity of limited run games. I would have to think if if it's if there's a question going forward as to oh will it or won't it actually be a limited version? The only way to get this physically, uh, I, I hope that doesn't you know have a detrimental impact on them. Yeah, if it does, at least uh, from a selfish perspective, then there would finally be maybe a an end to the many, many limited run games that come out. So you could actually have a full collection of those games. Yeah. The way, the way it's going right now, I don't think they'll ever stop. No, uh, my, my wallet uh, cringes every month when I look at the yeah. release schedule. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they need to slow down a bit. They, yep. they sent out a survey. Um, uh, I, I think sent it out maybe it was via email. I can't remember. I did take the survey, but it was asking questions about, you know, uh, do you buy, do you like collector's editions? Do you, do you think we should do more or fewer releases? Kind of, so I think they're trying to gauge the uh, the buyers yep. a little bit. Um, and it seems pretty unanimous based on my feedback, conversations with you obviously here and also elsewhere that even diehard fans of limited run games would appreciate it slowing down a little bit. Yeah, I've bought all of the limited run games and I'm, I think I'm going to stop buying the collector's limited edition versions and just, get the the games going forward because it it is it is just it's too much too much this latest uh one they think they did i think the game was 2064 i think was the name of the game that that they released recently and they released three cover variants for this one game and there's no uh for there's no other difference other than three cover variants and so i think this is the first time they had done three cover variants they've done two in the past but when you're releasing the same game with three different cover variants at the exact same time and those variants aren't reserved for certain people like for example they did um the uh, uh runner i believe uh was a game that they had a pax a specific pax cover variant 
and that that was okay. You know, there's the normal cover variant, then there was the PAX cover variant, um, and the PAX cover variant was one that you could, at that time anyway, only get at PAX. It makes total sense. I get that. Um, in this case, the 2064 covers, all three were available to anyone yep. uh, upon release, and it, that would that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and so there was a moment where I thought, I might want to not do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so I, I did end up only buying one version of those covers, but or one one of the covers. But yeah, I think they've done that a couple of times with the PAX cover art variants because there was one for uh, Yeast Origins yeah. and uh, Odd World, a the the Odd World one that they released, I think, in their first year, um, was the same way where there were two standard covers and then a, a PAX edition cover as well. But yeah, I agree. Three three covers is getting to be a bit much. Yeah. Moving on now, after we've starting to get some followers on Twitter and get uh, you know some some listener feedback, which is great, and that's kind of what all the contest is all about. And we actually have a listener submitted question this episode, Caleb. Ooh. Yeah. Proof they do exist. I know it's crazy. So this question is from Ryan at its Rocket Sauce on Twitter. And Ryan asks, which NES flash cart solution is better? The Power Pack from RetroUSB.com or the EverDrive N8 from Crix? So I looked into this and I've been a big, big flash cart fan uh, for years now. I've got all of the EverDrives that Crix has put out and I had a, a Power Pack for a while just to, to test it out and a couple of other solutions that are not Crix related. But I just wanted to quick give Ryan an answer that was more than just a Cliff's Notes version of which one he should take and give a little breakdown on each one. And this is just my opinion on it for the most part. So uh, take it for, for what it's worth. But the they're both comparably priced. The power pack you can get from RetroUSB.com for uh, $135. And this was actually the first Nintendo flash cart that was available it predates the everdrive n8 from cricks and it uses compact flash carts uh, uh, memory carts rather than the sd cards that most of the flash carts that people are familiar with uses there's a pretty negligible performance delta between cf cards and sd cards but because of the fact that they are uh, they're not quite as common anymore they were primarily developed for like video and and photo equipment and they were more common in in that market and gamers will probably know the flat compact flash card best as being the the port on the front of the launch model PlayStation 3 that was in with the, all of the memory cards that was the big one that nobody ever knew what the hell it did. <laughs> but there's the the type of card really only matters in, in terms of the availability of the cards. The SD cards are much more common than CF cards, so you tend to be able to find larger cards at very good deals than you would on a CF card. So I put that into a minor, minor pro for the EverDrive versus the Power Pack, just the use of the, the card format. Um, the EverDrive N8, which was developed by Cricks, who developed the entire EverDrive series, uh, and you can buy these on either Cricks.com, get them directly from him, and I believe he's in Europe somewhere, so there is international 
seasonal shipping there, but he does, I think, a flat shipping rate. So if you're buying several carts, you can kind of mitigate that shipping expense. But I've gotten all of mine from Stone Age Gamer. And StoneAgeGamer.com is a an affiliate, an official affiliate of Cricks. They're hooked up directly with him and they import the boards. And they you can get either the just the EverDrive flash carts, whether it's the N8 or the um, Genesis version or the Master System version. They carry the whole line. But then they also have like upgraded versions where you can trick out the cart in any different way you want and custom stickers and cases and that whole deal um and they kind of that just makes them look nice on the shelf which as a collector i like um, but if you're just getting the cart which is all you can get from cricks uh cricks's website they they run about the same price the everdrive n8 runs uh, 118 dollars as opposed to the power packs 135 dollars so again just a, a minor um check in the everdrive box there the everdrive uses sd cards as i mentioned um, and the everdrive one of the big benefits is that it actually has a little bit better mapper compatibility than the power pack the everdrive i think only has 39 games out of all of the 2600 and some odd games that are available across uh worldwide as well as some homebrews for the nintendo only 39 of them don't work on the everdrive n8 and i think it's something more like 50 some that don't work on the power pack so that's a, another another benefit for the n8 before i get into the big difference between the two of them i should mention that both of the carts are region free both of them support game genie codes both of them will work with the analog nt i think they they both require firmware updates to do so but that's easy to do and it's done via just a free download both of the both of the solutions are are good solutions i'm i'm not knocking the power pack but the biggest drawback to the power pack is the way that it saves your your saved game files or the power pack when you're when you want to save a game you've been playing a game and want to save your save state you actually have to reset the nintendo system in order to prompt the save state to transfer and get backed up onto your your memory card to your cf card if you don't do that it won't actually store your save onto the onto the memory card so it's just kind of a pain in the butt you can't you have to actually get up and go and physically restart the the nintendo the everdrive n8 the saves are automatically backed up to the SD card. It works basically just sort of seamlessly. You save, hit your save state in, and boom, it automatically saves to the SD card. So no rebooting necessary, and it avoids just a major pain in the butt, frankly. So that that reason alone for me is enough to suggest and recommend the EverDrive versus the PowerPack. Nice. And they uh, and one other thing that I, I – so I'm – very unfamiliar with any of the uh, the EverDrive or the PowerPack, any of these solutions. Um, I would assume, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, that these probably only work on real hardware. So, like emulation systems, like a Retron Five or something like that. Do you know if they would if they would work on those? They have very spotty compatibility with with emulation units. It's sort of a crapshoot. But I know that that they do work. Now, after this firmware update for both of them, they do work almost flawlessly with the analog nt which isn't really a an emulation box it's more hardware based mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i guess if you're spending money on the analog nt too you probably do not want to buy original games uh because you won't have any money left so spending a bunch of money on on a power pack or an everdrive just makes sense yep <laughs> you know for a hundred bucks and um you don't have to 
be popping games back in and out. Even as a collector, I like having the original stuff, but I do most of my actual playing uh, via flashcard just because it's easier. I don't have to open up the protective cases and open up the boxes and fiddle with the carts. So even though I like having the collection, I do most of my gaming via via flashcards. And I, I just think they're an invaluable, uh, especially invaluable for, um, you know, preservation going forward Mm -hmm. cool well thank you ryan at it's rocket sauce for your question really appreciate that so if anybody else has any questions feel free to hit us up on twitter at mou podcast and uh drop us a line we're happy to happy to talk about anything you guys want to hear about within reason unless you want to hear about you know the (laughs) inner workings of uh the the atari we're probably not going to get into that (laughs) that that was much cleaner than i was anticipating you going with i i tried to censor myself and you know (laughs) scale back a little bit this is a family program (laughs) it is a family program you're right uh and speaking of i can do this speaking of things that families would thrive upon that being an abundance of money to be able to pay for the goods and services that a family would need, there is a company out there possibly trying to take some of that money from you. EA, as we know, has been ta- has been uh, doing this microtransactions thing. Uh, I think I nailed that segue. Yeah, well you know done. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Well I think done. I nailed it. <laughs> um, this, is, uh, this is your story, so I'll definitely let you take over. Um, I just wanted to steal the uh, segue from you. So. Can't be stealing segues. Those things are nice <laughs> and they're fun to tool around campuses on. Boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, segway jokes are just so easy. <laughs> My favorite anecdote is that the inventor of the segway died by driving his segway off a cliff. It's a little morbid, but it's kind of humorous. Is it actually true? I think it's actually true. Okay, you you introduced this story. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. see if that's actually true. So as everybody knows, EA has just stumbled into a shitstorm here with their microtraction mic microtransactions <laughs> in Star Wars Battlefront Two, and the interesting thing is that I, it's kind of surprising to me that this now is something that's blowing up. Like this is something that everybody should have been upset with seven eight years ago when this whole trend started like companies wouldn't lace their games with microtransaction capabilities if people weren't buying microtransactions like they were going out of style Mm -hmm. you know these things have been even on console everybody says yeah well that's really more of a free-to-play mobile game ecosystem but if you look at the ea sports games with like the madden ultimate pack and things like that pay-to-play transaction stuff has been ingrained in ea games for several several years now really i think going back even to the beginning of 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 this console generation most of those ea sports games have been laced with this stuff but Regardless of that, I think it's it's great that uh, the game community got got together and and really made a giant scene out of this whole uh, microtransaction shenanigans and prompted EA to sort of it took them a little bit took a little bit of goading <laughs> but first they scaled back the prices on everything seventy five percent just highlighting the fact that it was utterly priced ridiculously to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then after that wasn't enough and they still got hammered for that move, then they said, oh, well, we're temporarily 
removing all of the purchases from Star Wars Battlefront 2. Well, all that means is that they're just going to go ahead and, and put the system on pause, maybe change a few things, and then once the game has, has sold more copies, well, we'll just fire that back up, and hopefully it'll be you know, a slide under the radar and they'll still be able to juice revenue. Um, that That's my take, that this is just PR management rather than any sort of... Uh, Indica- indicative of any kind of change in mm-hmm. in the industry. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a few things to be said, I guess. One is uh, I I stay away from microtransactions, so if any of what I'm saying here is is ignorant, please keep me honest. But with uh, the sports games that you had mentioned earlier, I think the big difference between those and this one, at least as I've read uh, in various articles, is that this is very overtly a play to win model rather than a or a pay to win model rather than a pay for uh, superficial upgrades or pay for skins or pay for just, you know, minor things that don't necessarily impact gameplay. This very, very directly impacts gameplay and rewards those who spend the most. Uh, Is that ignorant or? It's true to a degree. The EA games that I mentioned, the sports games, and specifically like the Madden Ultimate Team stuff, those are are pretty straightforward pay-to-win as well because the way Mm. you build your team is you open packs to get players, and then those players have ratings. And Mm. so it's sort of like opening a pack of baseball cards back in the day or football cards. You get a good player, and that player then goes into your lineup if he's better than the player that you currently have in your lineup. Well, the more packs you purchase, the more opportunity you have to increase your cards and there's two ways to increase two two ways to earn uh, the ability to buy packs one is through you know points that you get in the game just like the these loot crates and another which is the way you really have to do it because there's no way you could ever play enough games to get enough points to really build a team that way is buying um you know it through through currency through the the game store packs for cash mm, okay yeah that 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 makes a little bit more sense i still uh I, I don't know i i guess one of the other things that i that kind of surprised me about not surprised me about this whole thing i mean ea is a publicly traded company they they are going to uh, they have a legal obligation to make money so you alluded to it earlier that uh you know businesses will want to make money and these and people are buying microtransactions so from a purely business standpoint it's almost weird that microtransactions haven't caught on even more you know it's almost weird that every game doesn't have microtransactions to some degree now i'm not i'm not uh uh, supporting this i'm glad they don't believe me but uh, from a business case standpoint people are buying them and therefore people are buying them the market tells you that you should include them um what was interesting about this though is that they on a phone call to investors during this situation ea said that um the removal or the temporary disabling of the loot box purchases uh, will not impact revenue projections. Now, this can be taken, I think, in one of two ways. Uh, either A, this highlights what they mean by temporary, meaning that um, our revenue projections were such that once we turn them back on, we plan on on re-energizing uh, you know, the, the market and, and therefore making a ton of money. Or what it could also mean is that EA was uh, this. This highlights the fact that the that the microtransactions in and of themselves are purely a greed thing, and that they aren't. Uh, there, there's probably some spin out there, and, I, and I'm I'm making assumptions here when I shouldn't, but um, there are probably some some uh, some spin out there to say that microtransactions are a necessity as 
uh, game costs uh, grow more and more. You know, the, the cost to develop games becomes more and more, and therefore you have to have find new ways uh, to increase revenue so that you can continue making these very, very expensive games. And perhaps microtransactions are one way of doing that. Well, in this uh, this other the second take on the investor uh, and the, on the on the statement to investors, um, if they say that the that that turning off these microtransactions will not impact their revenue projections, either a they're lying to their investors, or b it's proof that they never needed them to begin with, and it really is just a greed thing. And that whole narrative about um, about you know microtransactions needing to be necessary in order to support the increasing costs of, of game development are not necessarily true. Now I understand I'm taking one very specific event and extrapolating that across the motivations of the entire gaming industry. I, I understand that, but I think there's something there, and maybe that's possibly why there was such a groundswell of anger against this move by gamers. You know we we are both you and I are both happy that gamers stood up and, and were talking about this and kind of got Activision to change their tune. And, and and I don't think it's clearly been articulated as to why there was such a groundswell. I mean, individual pockets of people have been angry about things in the past and there hasn't really been a change, but this did change. And so maybe there is something to this idea that it just seems there's it's hard to logically understand every uh, every step of EA's thought process as this rolled out, from rolling out the transactions to rescinding the transactions to telling their investors that it's not going to impact revenue projections, uh, to saying it's a temporary change. You know, all of these various narratives kind of don't make sense, and so everyone yeah. is at least on board and saying let's let's just completely not support it at all. You know. Yeah, it was kind of funny over the the holiday weekend here on Friday, Black Friday. There was a lot of tweets going around. The, the Twitterverse showing people who were shopping later on Black Friday and showing just empty cases of all of the day's video game sales. And the only thing in any of the cases was a row of Star Wars Battlefront 2 copies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there, was, there was multiple. One of them was Walmart. One of them was a, a Target picture. So it wasn't just one picture that kept getting retweeted over and over. It was multiple <laughs> different venues and multiple different retailers that were seeing the same thing. So uh props on gamers for speaking with their wallet and not just uh giving lip service to things so mm -hmm. well done yeah yeah speaking of of micro traction micro transactions ea is not the only company in the news recently um <laughs> regarding micro transactions activision a news story mm -hmm. came out that they've been working on some technology to juice microtransactions what uh, what do you know about this the only thing i know for a hundred percent fact is that activision is very very glad ea uh the ea story broke before b before this this activision thing was able to gain track <laughs> I, i'm a little bit surprised uh that this activision story hadn't hasn't been bigger um, but I think it is because the EA story was just so much bigger. But essentially, uh, what Acti Activision has filed a patent for uh, this matchmaking system that is specifically designed to push microtransactions. Um, and the, the patent is – what I like about this patent is that it gives specific examples of what they're thinking. A lot of times patents kind of don't do this because 
I think for fear of it being released and then people are able to know exactly what they're thinking. You, you know, um, I think uh, people I think people who file patents kind of sometimes almost want this air of mystery in case it does get out there. But um, in this particular case, they give some examples about what this matchmaking system could do. And I'll, I'll read a couple of those just because I think it, it will help. It helped me anyway, kind of understand what this whole thing was about. So um, the patent uh, says, uh, so for example, in one implementation, the system may include a microtransaction engine that arranges matches to influence game-related purchases. For instance, the microtransaction engine may match a more expert or marquee player with a junior player to encourage the junior player to make game-related purchases of items possessed or used by the marquee player. A junior player, therefore, may wish to emulate the marquee player by obtaining weapons or other items used by the marquee. So it's essentially, uh, you know, you want to be, you, you want to uh, compete with the Joneses, right? That old uh, saying about your neighbor having something, and therefore you want to have it as yep. well. Uh, another example is uh, uh, a junior player uh, may wish to become an expert sniper in a game, um, and the microtransaction engine may match the junior player with a player that is highly skilled that is a highly skilled sniper in the game, and in this manner, the junior player may be encouraged to make game-related purchases such as a rifle or other item used by the marquee player. So a very similar situation, but a different example. Um, it's 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 kind of eye-opening to me. I mean, what I read there, literally, that that's word for word from the actual patent itself. So it's it's almost when you read it, you're it almost see, sounds like that. What what I just read almost sounds like the kind of spin that a uh, that an article may say when they're wanting to make the patent look bad. Oh, this is probably what it means. It'll probably mean this, but no, this is exactly what they're saying it could be used for. And it's a little scary to me. I mean, you, I know you have some thoughts on uh, maybe this uh, being, uh, well, I'll let you talk about maybe how this is related, maybe the mobile sphere or things like that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I thought was obviously this could certainly be used in a, in an EA sort of way, hands down, no, no doubt about it. But I think there's also given, especially given the, the shitstorm that EA walked into, I think that this is something that Activision could be using elsewhere. And the, the, I think the patent just actually got approved for Activision this month or, or last month in October. So it doesn't surprise me that when they they said in the article that, oh, we're not using this in any current game, it's not in the current Call of Duty or anything like that, that doesn't surprise me if, if this patent was just awarded. It, that's pretty typical for a patent that was filed in 2015 to take a couple of years. Uh, the patent office tends to move at a, a glacial pace. But I think that there are avenues that are going to be less or could be less controversial where Activision could could utilize this technology and one of them that springs immediately to my mind is Activision owns King Digital and King Digital is the the mobile game developer that is most famous for having produced Candy Crush so it's sort of that free to play clickbaity type game which is uh, where microtransactions are really the way you pay for the game and they're more readily accepted and are frankly gigantic business in one of the the articles that was talking about this patent uh, i think it was in rolling stone they mentioned that in 2016 activision blizzard had earned 3.6 billion dollars from in-game sales up from uh, 2015's 1.6 billion so i mean they've essentially tripled their in-game sale revenue from 2015 to 2016 and i'm sure in 2017 it didn't slow down 
mm-hmm. and a large chunk of that is going to be from their their mobile game platforms where where in-game currency purchase or in-game transaction is commonplace how do you think though the examples that the patent gives fit into the mobile model so let's let's hypothetically say that uh that there there's not nearly as much um intentional ill will toward uh you know maybe it is going to be used for for mobile gaming and that's a more accepted area but the examples they give sound to me very specifically like non-mobile type experiences they talk about you know uh pairing two players uh and, and and one player is able to see the gear that the other player has and in, a lot of times in, in mobile games, uh, at least my experience with mobile games, multiplayer mobile games, um, you don't always get to see the, the the gear that the other player has. So if you're doing a, uh, I'll use a stupid example, but if you're doing words for friend, words with friends, for example, like if that other player has an advantage, you're not able to see that. Um, but this talks also about sniping and, and things that are you know very much a first person shooter type of mentality, which tells me that that they 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 seem like they might be thinking about this for use in uh, non-mobile experiences, even though they could potentially use it for mobile experiences. That's my takeaway anyway. I guess I'm, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain very um, uh, negative about this whole thing. Yeah. I'm 100% in agreement. I think, I'm sure that that's what this was developed for, and I'm sure that's what they envision using it for. But I think that they can, because they have King Digital, they could probably shelve it for a while and, and use it there and sort of wait till the smoke fades from all of this microtransaction hoopla around EA and phase it in down the road. And I'm sure it, uh, it'll happen and it'll be, you know, hopefully it's, it's still an issue at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. we can hope (laughs) fingers crossed, you know, who else is angry, uh, about at EA. So it's not just gamers. Um, it's also wall street. Uh, apparently, Wall Street is freaking out as EA caves to the social media outrage over Star Wars, uh, over the Battlefront 2 game. Um, and it's this is from uh, this is an article from CNBC that I'm specifically talking about. Um, and that's I, the only reason I preface it by saying that is because it's a it's a non video game publisher that is getting involved or non video game uh, news source that's getting involved. You know, a lot of times we talk about video game news and it comes from video from video game news sources. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, it's sort of an echo chamber. But, you know, when there's other areas that start talking about it, um, I think it, it warrants a little bit, uh, a different kind of attention. And in this case, it's an article talking about Wall Street being concerned um, over the essentially EA being uh, not as profitable as maybe they had projected. Um, and one of the one of the quotes in there um, was specifically, let me see if I can find this quote here real quick. Uh, even, if it, even if I can't find the quote, I can give you the, jo- the gist of it. Um, there was someone uh, talking about uh, that they they are worried about pre-order sales uh, plummeting because of this type of, of thing, future pre-order sales for other titles, that sort of thing plummeting because um, of the backlash to this. Um, and I just thought that quote was, or that, that comment was, was interesting to me um, because it almost looks at this type of situation not as an opportunity for a business like EA to become better, but almost like there's no possible way we can do anything other than try to in, try to have microtransactions in our games, and therefore we're just going to have to be scared about this. So I mean, let me rephrase that a little bit. So if I were EA and I had uh, all of my consumers were up in arms over something I had done, 
my first thought would be, okay, I need to not do that thing anymore. And I need to be creative and find different ways to make money. If that's what I have to do, I need to find different ways to do it because the way I did it here obviously didn't work. And if I'm a gamer and EA is the type of company that would think in the hypothetical way that I just espoused, um, then a gamer, I would, I would almost then develop more trust in EA because I would think, oh, this is the type of company that now that we've said no, they're going to change their method and therefore I'm going to be more willing to maybe engage uh, and, and pre-order and stuff like that. But that is obviously looking at a giant company like EA through rose-colored glasses because the people who know better, the people on Wall Street, are saying that's not really how it would work and um, no, they're going to take a massive hit. Or Well, I'm, I'm being grandiose here, but they're going to take a hit and it's going to be... Uh, problematic so that quote didn't make a whole lot of sense to me either that was a bank of america analyst justin post who wrote that he said the escalation of ea concessions over the past month that being the scaling back of the digital download or the the microtransaction price and then the the pausing of it uh, back to the quote are a potential negative indicator of pre-order sales trends and overall unit confidence which i, I agree with you it doesn't doesn't that's only true if EA doesn't learn from this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ironically, it, later in the article, it talked about the the same analyst ended up coming to the conclusion that it didn't really matter, and he was still maintaining his buy rating on EA stock with a a stock price target that was like twenty three percent upside. So he said, Post maintained his buy rating of Electronic Arts stock and a hundred and thirty seven dollar price target, which was a twenty three percent upside to Thursday's close. Which, so you, on the one side, you're saying that <laughs> EA is not smart enough to learn from a giant PR shitstorm, and on the other side, you're saying, but you should still go buy their stock and and they're twenty three percent undervalued. Yeah. I, uh, it doesn't sound to me like a, a business analyst that I would want to follow very long. <laughs> uh, but hey, yeah, what, I, what do yeah. I know? Yeah, we're just the gamers. Yeah, uh, and you know what? I appreciate. I, I want to keep it that way. Um, I this kind of stuff. While it's interesting, and I'm obviously the one who brought up this article, so I enjoy talking about it. It's this type of thing that the, these are the small. These are the small things that make me kind of angry at gaming and angry at the game industry and everything. And it's it's. I want it to be this this uh, bastion of, of uh, peace and, and fun, and that's all it is, you know? Of course, I'm, I, that's, that's what I would do if I were to closet myself away from the world. I could believe that, but obviously <laughs> that's not the case. Um, the other thing that, that makes me realize this, and this is a small plug for the uh, cartridgeclub.org uh, uh, book club. So uh, I started recently at cartridgeclub.org. Go to the forums there if you want. We do a, uh, a video game-themed book club. Um, the, the cartridge club does a lot more than that. That's just, this is one thread of the forums that I started there. And we recently read the book, um, blood, sweat and pixels by Jason Schrader. Um, I'll look up a uh, pronunciation for that name here in a little bit. He's one of the, uh, news editors at Kotaku, I believe. Um, and it's a book about, uh, basically crunch and web and game developers making video games, um, you know, working long hours. It's very tiresome, all that kind of stuff. But there are elements of it where it talks about, you know, the reason why they have to work these long hours is because they have profit projections to hit. And when you get a bigger company, you have all these, you know, investors and people there that you have to appease and games can be changed because of what someone who's not really associated with video games thinks is best for the game and best for profitability. And, you know, and even it, what's interesting, what was interesting about that that book to me and was that um, some of the games that they, they talked about were games that I loved. 
And I was like, how yeah, this game's a work of art. And then you realize that this work of art was actually steered in the direction it was steered in because there were people with prophets in their eyes that told them to do it that way. And so it almost makes me think, wait, so those guys who wanted to change things just for money actually changed it for the better because I enjoy the work of art that this particular game is. So it's a little, it, it, it sort of, it's a conflict in my head that I'm trying to wrestle with. So all our listeners are hearing me uh, fall down that uh, spiral right here on air. <laughs> so anyway. Fractures my fragile little mind. <laughs> uh, what do you say we jump over to our main event? I think it's time. I think it's I time. Think it's time. The Game Awards. Thegameawards.com is the website where you can find all of the categories, all of the awards for the year. Um, and all of the winners will be announced and revealed live on Thursday, December 7th on YouTube, Twitch, mm-hmm. t- uh, Twitter, Steam, all kinds of places that uh, will have the, the stream available. And I don't know if it's actually on uh, old person television or not. I don't think so. Uh, they they, they uh, broadcast and boast quite a bit in their about section of their website that it is one of the largest, uh, the largest distributions of any sort of visual uh, medium. I don't know how they exactly uh, uh, phrase it, but it's a huge distribution of, of people. Um, here we go. The Game Awards is one of the widest distributed digital events on the planet, uh, and you can watch the show for free across all major digital gaming and social platforms. So they specifically leave off terrestrial TV or, I guess, you know, any TV elements. So I don't think so. Um, or TV from space. They also leave <laughs> yes. out TV from space, which I <laughs> guess would be out. satellite. <laughs> they do leave that out. It's very concerning, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the video game award or the game awards, um, it's it's relatively new. I think it was started in 2014 or 15. It's only had, I think, two official years of actual awards, this being the third year um, in 2017. Um, and it's it's in a lot of ways kind of like the Emmys of video games uh, because it's uh, people in the industry have the primary vote um, about what games win what categories. Uh, it's it's I do appreciate the way that it does it though. I mean it's uh, so there is a, a a jury essentially a jury of various game news outlets, developers, publishers, all of the kind of names that you've heard. Um, it, you would not be surprised. Polygon is one that was out there. Um, Easy Allies. That's that's a uh, 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 an outlet that the cartridge uh, uh, the cartridge club um, talks about a lot on their podcast, the Cartridge Club Weekly, CC Weekly, and, and all that kind of good stuff. So there's a lot of platforms here that you would have heard of, some very big ones, some ones that you didn't realize are big enough to really have a voice in this side of sort of thing. So it's a good mix, um, and uh, they are they they are the jury pool that that basically vote and 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 uh, create the nominees, create the nomination list, and then once the nomination list is created. Um, there is a uh, there's an international jury, which I believe it's the same people that actually de- determine the winners as well. I couldn't quite figure that out through my research online. I couldn't tell if it was a different group of people that created the nominees and also voted for those nominees or if it was the same group that did those. But the winners, I know, also are there's a 10 percent element, uh, a fan vote um, accounts for 10 percent of the vote for what wins. So there is an element of, fa- of public fan voting. Uh, it's 10 percent, which. Um, initially, you may think that's not very much. Boy, wouldn't it be great if the fans were able to vote? But um, I, I don't agree with that because I think fans, uh, it, 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 it requires a lot to expect that every fan who voted has played all of the games and can make a very just 
decision. I know f- when I voted uh, earlier today on these, there were plenty of categories in which I'd only played the one game that I voted for. So obviously that's not very good. Um, so I'm glad that it's a limited percentage for the actual public. Well, and you look at some of the categories too, and it's some of the stuff that's not just like, hey, what's a good game? You know, it's not like Joe Sixpack is going to go and know the, oh, well, the art direction on uh, Mario Odyssey is so much better than the art direction on Breath of the Wild. And uh, <laughs> pass me another Crevossier, please. <laughs> Man, you you, uh, you don't have a lot of faith in this Joe Sixpack. No, you know, I, yeah. it's a lowest common denominator sort of thing. <laughs> uh, Schlitz is still in business for a reason. <laughs> Are they? Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's not bad. Um, so I'm thinking what we can maybe do here is uh, maybe walk through. What, what? How about this? How about this? I will run through the categories real quick. I'll just say the categories, and then maybe you and I can choose two or three of the categories that really tickle our fancy and put our uh, audibly put out there our votes for what these games should be. How does that sound? Sounds like a plan. So I'll quickly go through the, the, the categories. It looks like there's about 20 of them, uh, possibly more, but um, I'll try to be, I'll be very quickly about it, quick about it. So there's Game of the Year, Best Game Direction, Best Narrative, Best Art Direction, Best Score Slash Music, Best Audio Design, Best Performance, Games for Impact, which is a weird way to phrase. I couldn't tell if originally if that was like games that support like social causes uh, or what that meant, um, and it's, we'll get into that. Um, best ongoing game, best mobile game, best handheld game, best VR slash AR game, best action game. I'm going to eliminate the bests. That's taking too long. Action slash adventure game, role-playing game, fighting game, family game, strategy game, sports slash racing game. <laughs> Take that, NASCAR. You're not a sport. Multiplayer. <laughs> um, most anticipated game presented by McCafe. Best independent game, student game, um, and then there's some esports awards as well. Um, there's also best Chinese game, which is the only category under international awards, which is weird to me um, because there are plenty of amazing games, especially games coming out of like uh, uh, what would you call like the like uh, the Netherlands and, and that Scandinavia. Kind of Scandinavia, thank you, thank you. I knew you'd be able to get that. That's kind of your. That, uh, that's, those are my people. Yeah, that's your thing. So. Yeah. A lot of games coming out of there. I don't know why best just best Chinese game is the only international award. I don't know. There's probably a, a valid reason for it, so I don't want to put out there that I think this is rigged or something. There's probably a valid reason. I just don't know it. There's also best debut indie game um, as one of the awards as well. And there's also a category that I just could not possibly care less about, the Trending Gamer Award. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I don't – it's weird. I've never heard of any of these people. Nope. Um, and I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very strange. So anyway, how about this? You choose three categories that we can make our, our, uh, our, our guesses on or our opinions on, and then I will choose three as well. And we'll start with you. See, we could do this fantasy draft style. You know, I'll pick one and then you can pick one. All right. You're speaking sports, but back and uh, forth here. I'll try to I'll try to keep up. Anything if if it if it's after T ball, I don't understand any of it. Sports ball, yay. <laughs> Let's first do the most unsports thing possible and go with best role playing game. Ooh, will do. All right. What are who, who are nominees here? The nominees for best role playing game are South Park: The Fractured Butthole from Ubisoft San Francisco. Final Fantasy XV from Square Enix Business Division 2, 
Divinity Original Sin 2 from Larian Studios, Near Automata from Platinum Games, and Persona 5 from Atlas. Now, I think between the two of us, we've played several of these. I've played two of them, so I hope you have played the other several that you speak of. <laughs> I assume you've got uh, Near and South Park knocked out. Yep. <laughs> I've also played, I haven't finished, but I played Persona 5 and played through all of Persona 4. Um, really enjoy the series. And I've started Final Fantasy 15. I have not played Original Divinity Original Sin. One of my, my good friends who does a lot of PC gaming has played it and says it's fantastic. I have played some of the other games in the Divinity series, though. They're um, sort of old-school computer RPG. Think uh, a combination between Baldur's Gate and Diablo. Mm, okay. Okay. Let's do your vote, my vote, yeah. and what we think will be the winner. That's a good. That's a good one. Well, I'm gonna have to go with Near Automata, um, because that's one of my favorite games of the entire year. So it wouldn't make sense if I didn't vote for it. I would also vote for Near Automata. Mm. Great game, and I have to thank Caleb J. Ross for your recommendation mm-hmm. to play that. You're welcome. And I only ruined my streak of good recommendations when I then later recommended Colot. So I think I'm. I'm at a zero right now. No, nobody's perfect, <laughs> except Nier Automata, except... the creator of creator of Nier Automata, <laughs> who is very much into booze. I read an interview with him recently, and uh, he went on and on about with, about alcohol in the way that, like, uh, like you know, Jim Morrison would go on about acid or something. Really, like it was like, yeah, it was very much his drug of choice. Uh, he routinely talked about drinking, blacking out. And waking up with the near automata story written. Wow. And like, yeah, so like not really remember writing it. And he, he would remember being very emotional for the few areas that he did remember writing. And very strange, very strange guy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, God bless him. I'm so. going to have to try to track that down. That sounds like an interesting read. Yeah, I'll see if I can find that. So near automata for both of us. Now, that surprises me a little bit only because um, I would assume that Final Fantasy 15 would have been fantastic. A lot of people talk about how great it is, all that kind of stuff. And people who played Persona 5, it's basically a religion for them. So I think the reason I, I, I don't think either of those will win because I think they're too, they're too niche. You know, the, the, the Final Fantasy and the persona both have their their crowds that are devoted as you say but i think that sort of it's like having two mvp candidates in the same city and your sports writers in your city divide their votes amongst the two of them so i think Mm. it's going to water down that kind of jrpg population so i think the winner is going to be divinity original sin 2 Mm. i've just heard a ton of buzz about the game and i think there's some recency bias and divinity 2 has gotten buzz more recent than near which got the buzz earlier in the year Mm -hmm. yeah keep in mind though that these are um you know the voters are the people who whose job it is to kind of avoid recency bias whenever they can and to really like try to look at you know we're not it's not it's only 10 percent of the fans um yeah and so there may be. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I I think you're. I think you're probably right. I mean, I've never played Divinity, and I don't really have any have any. Usually, if I don't know something, then it probably is definitely the best, most popular choice. You place so. far more faith in the media than I do. Apparently, where's my mm-hmm. where's my tinfoil hat at? Where did I put that. Where did I put that on. 
What uh, what category do you want to chat up? You know what? I want to go with. I'm I'm trying to remember a category where I played most of the games. You know what? Instead of doing that, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick a category that just as a category that I that I think is interesting and cool. One one of the things I'm learning walking through all of this is that um, there are a lot of games I haven't played and a lot of games I really really want to play. So um, I'm gonna go with uh, be, uh, games for impact, which uh, this is the sub sort of description of this is. Um, for a thought-provoking game with a profound social, uh, pro-social meaning or message. Uh, and the nominees are Please Knock on My Door by Laval Games, Night in the Woods from Infinite Fall, Life is Strange Before the Storm by Deck Nine, uh, Bury Me, My Love uh, by The Pixel Hunt, What Remains of Edith Finch from Giant Sparrow, and Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice from Ninja Theory. So I've heard of exactly two of these games. <laughs> I know that was kind of like I'm realizing that most of these were digital, I think, only. And you're very averse to digital. Um, and what makes it even worse, I picked this category and I've only played none of them. So um... <laughs> so clearly these games for impact didn't have much impact on on the two of us. And if, what I love about it is that um, these are definitely the kind of games that I, I would love. Like, I've had my eye on Night in the Woods for a long time. It's a game I really want to play. I just haven't gotten around to it. Same thing with Hellblade. Same thing with What Remains of Edith Finch. All three of those are games that I really, really want to play. Life is Strange. I'll still need to play the first one before I do that one. Um, and I've never even heard of the other two. And so knowing that those other two games are thought of in the same uh, breath that doesn't make sense but uh, thought of in the same breath I'll stick with it as these other games that do uh, tickle my fancy makes me really want to try out those other games so if anything this is more of a look at all these cool games I, I know I will tr- I will love and so maybe that's what we do we say not just because we don't have the right to vote yeah. in this particular category it's are any of these games ones that actually like intrigue you i keep hearing about what remains of edith finch over and over and over so that's one that i've always wanted to to check out so i'm hoping it gets a physical re- release mm-hmm. at some point so i can can give it a try i i know nothing about it other than people keep talking about it yeah same same here so um yeah i think of all like i said i, I want to play all of them so i i you know, Hellblade is probably going to be the next one on my list that I will play. I know it's short, um, and it's one of those games that um, it's you know just top of mind right now. So I really want to play it. So, all right, I'll throw a throwback to you. What's your next category? My next category is going to be best action adventure game. All right. So the nominees for best action adventure game which they define as combining combat with traversal and puzzle solving, which that's, you know, I've never really thought about what is the definition of an action adventure game, but I like, Mm, I like it. I like it. I like it too. The nominees are uncharted, the lost legacy by naughty dog assassin's creed origins from Ubisoft Montreal legend of Zelda breath of the wild from Nintendo EPD Super Mario Odyssey, also a Nintendo EPD, and Horizon Zero Dawn from Guerrilla Games. What a list. Mm-hmm. What a great mm-hmm. year for action-adventure games. Yeah, very true. I've only played two of them, so... Um... <laughs> I have played three of them, okay. and I think we are probably different in the... At least, at least one of them that we've played, I'm fairly mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so... I, I've played uh, so I've played Super Mario Odyssey and I've played The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, I have 
genuinely no interest in playing the Un Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, or Assassin's Creed Origins. I've never played an Assassin's Creed game, and this one didn't do enough to really want me to start playing them. Uh, I played part of one Uncharted game, and it wasn't my thing. I really want to play Horizon Zero Dawn, so I feel like had I played that game, then this may be a different conversation. But I will say of the two I've played... Um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, I think, has got to be my best action-adventure game. Yeah, I, the the ones I played were, I just mentioned earlier, I finished Assassin's Creed Origins earlier last week. Uh, I spent most of the first month and a half the Switch was out playing Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and I've also played Horizon Zero Dawn. have not yet played Mario Odyssey and haven't picked up Uncharted Lost Legacy yet, but I do enjoy the Uncharted series. Um, I played one through three. I haven't played four yet. So it's one of the reasons I haven't picked up Lost Legacy is it's sort of an offshoot of four, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. So I, my, for me, un, uh, Assassin's Creed Origins isn't in the... Um, it's one of the better Assassin's Creed games I've played over the the last you know, seven years or so that the series has been around, um, since two anyway. Uh, but it's definitely nowhere near the, the class of Legend of Zelda or Horizon Zero Dawn. So for me, this, this comes down to the two of these. And I would say that even if I had played Super Mario Odyssey, because there's no way a 3D Mario can top either one of those games. <laughs> Since you went Zelda, I'm going to go Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, that way we can have a follow-up episode where we where one of us gets to say, I told you so. Exactly. Unless neither of those win. Then <laughs> then they can say they told us so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> what do you think is going to win? I think Legend of Zelda is probably... I think any category that Legend of Zelda is in, it's going to win that category because there's nostalgia there that people wanted. So even if you, were, if you eliminate that from it... Um, then you look at Horizon Zero Dawn and Legend of Zelda, you know, if there's no nostalgia, then you're more of an even playing field, but Legend of Zelda has that. And again, these are industry people who've been playing video games their entire lives. So every single person voting does have a connection to the Legend of Zelda, I would imagine. There's going to be, uh, I think there's also going to be a certain element of that Legend of Zelda deserves it. You know, they've, they've, they're coming back and they're, it's yep. a great game and everyone loves it. And so it's almost like we got to give it to them because it deserves it. You know, Guerrilla Games, hey, they'll have next year. They'll have another game in the hopper. They'll have more coming along. But Legend of Zelda was just people needed it. So that that's going to be my think. I think you're probably right. And frankly, I, now that I think about this and think about the fact that this is Breath of the Wild was hands down my favorite Zelda game ever. And there's... I know Zelda's a beloved series, but there are several Zelda games that I just couldn't care less about. So I probably have even less nostalgia for Zelda than most Nintendo gamers. Uh, but I, I agree. I think I think Zelda's going to take this one. All right. Is it my turn? Wait, it, turn? it is my your turn, right? turn. It is your turn. Okay. Uh, so we've each done, or we're at, uh, this will be the fourth one? Is that this right? This will be the track, right? third. This will be the fourth selection. Yeah, yeah the fourth Overall, total, right. yeah. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with best action game. Um, well, maybe I won't because I've only played one of those. Um, that I was gonna be my choice last time again, too, and I thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> oh no, I I don't have a whole lot to contribute here. Well, let's do this one here. This will this will be an even. Uh, let's do most anticipated game. Okay. Uh, presented by presented by McCafe. Love I coffee. Say the the whole the whole thing, uh, and so this is uh, just a game uh, awarded to an upcoming game that has shown significant ambition and promise. Uh, the title must be announced and scheduled for release after December 7th, 2017. 
So the uh, the nominees are The Last of Us Part Two from Naughty Dog, Red Dead Redemption Two from Rockstar Games, Monster Hunter World from Capcom, Marvel's Spider Man from Insomniac Games, and God of War from Santa Monica Studio. What do you think? Or I guess it's not even what do you think. It's I guess we're gonna have a vote to see if your if what you're looking forward to is really what you're looking forward to i think what i'm looking forward to out of this list is probably last of us part two mm-hmm. but it's a close second would be red dead redemption two and the other three are quite far behind <laughs> yeah some of them are a little uh i didn't realize that monster hunter was such a beloved franchise um until this announcement so i and it almost surprised me that it's on there but again i've already admitted that i have played very few of these games so yeah, yeah. Monster Hunter has a much much bigger following internationally. It's yeah. it's like it's a massive system seller in Japan, especially. Hmm. Well, my uh, my vote, I, I I liked The Last of Us. I didn't love it, so I'm not, I don't really care too much about the sequel. Um, I, my vote would be Red Red, Red Dead Redemption Two, only if there is also a re-release of one that is coming at the same time because I've never played the first one. Um, but I know I would love it. It's one of those games that I just know I would love. So uh, I would love to be excited about Red Dead Redemption 2. With those caveats in mind, I will have to say that Spider-Man will be the one I'm looking forward to the most. Um, I haven't played a God of War since the first God of War, and I was terrible at it, so I have some uh, uh, some battle uh, you know trauma from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, that from what I've seen of Monster Hunter World, it does look really, really, really cool and fun. Yeah. Like it, it looks like a super fun game. So I could get pretty excited about that, but the only one, the only game that I would, I'm looking forward to really of all of these is Spider Man, and it, and I'm not even really looking forward to it that much. I just remember, uh, I I remember Spider Man games. The last one I played was, or I guess I guess the first good one I played was I think on the PS One. It was just called Spider Man, and it was the first time that you could have some element of freedom with Spider-Man and, and could sort of swing anywhere you wanted to. And it was a 3d game and it was just a whole lot of fun. And I just remember it being incredibly fun to swing around, um, in a, in a hyper polygonal world. Um, and then I played a few minutes of some of the later versions on uh, PS3 or no, not even PS3. I guess it was PS2, um, skipped PS3 and everything. So anyway, this, if, if this is as fun as I think it should be, if fun being the operative word there, then I'm looking the most forward to that. All right, you're up, Slugger. All right. The next category will be Best Narrative. Good call. This is the award for Outstanding Storytelling and Narrative Development in a Game. And the nominees are, again, here comes What Remains of Edith Finch from Giant Sparrow, Near Automata, Platinum Games, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice from Ninja Theory, Wolfenstein 2 from Machine Games and Horizon Zero Dawn from Guerrilla Games. And just the 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 company that What Remains of Edith Finch is in again with with this lineup mm-hmm. enhances my desire to play it. Yeah, this is a good selection. Ah. I have to go I have to go with Near. Near Automata takes it for me. Now I've only played uh Near and Horizon Zero Dawn. I have not yet played Wolfenstein 2. I've played the previous two Wolfensteins or the previous one and a half Wolfensteins I guess it is but just based on those and yours mentioning earlier today that you didn't you didn't think that the two lived up to to the previous ones 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think the previous ones are in the same class as Near or Horizon Zero Dawn. So mm-hmm. I feel I feel comfortable with Near here. I fo- I follow that logic entirely. Yeah. I uh, I want to vote for Wolfenstein 2 somewhere because I did like it a lot, but this isn't the category for it, I don't think. Um, I, I have played, uh, and the only two I've played are Nier Automata and Wolfenstein 2, so I kind of by default have to go to Nier Automata. I would imagine Hellblade, like what's key to me in, is the description of this category uh, where it, it says narrative development. And from what I've heard of Hellblade, it doesn't develop much. It's kind of, it is what it is. It's a great experience and it's and it's a great narrative for the small amount of, uh, of of narrative, I guess, narrative distance or narrative depth that it portrays, but it doesn't develop in a way that, say, Nier Automata did. And I, so I'll have to go with Nier Automata as well, um, but these are all games that I really, really, really want to play or have really, really enjoyed. So It's good you mentioned that because it is key, absolutely crucial to Nier's storytelling arc. I mean, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. if you just played through, and we mentioned this on on the episode of Masters Unlocking where we we talked in depth about we had just both played through the game and were discussing it, trying to do it spoiler free. But the, had you just played through the one single playthrough and called it a day, which I had done uh, in one episode, and and I think I told you that I didn't quite understand how you had such a deep affinity for this game because it didn't. That playthrough didn't really capture me, didn't really speak to me, but then I went back and I played through the subsequent playthroughs, again, at your behest, uh, which I am <laughs> very grateful for because it, it does. It it truly is a game that develops and changes significantly as you go through it. Mm-hmm. Almost as good as Colette, but uh, so... The world the will time. never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think I think now it's time for the, the big award game of the year right yeah let's do right. it game let's of the it. year All and right, in a so. year of just top to bottom a-list titles yeah pretty good selection here even though one yeah, i don't necessarily agree with <laughs> well let's see um so the description here is recognize a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields so that's very so not just the most fun game and in fact it doesn't even talk about fun it just says best experience and creative and technical experiences so the nominees are the legend of zelda breath of the wild from nintendo epd super mario odyssey from nintendo epd player unknown's battlegrounds from pubg corp uh persona 5 from atlas and horizon zero dawn from guerrilla games and I can already know exactly the one you probably don't agree with. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not Zelda, Mario, Horizon, or Persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it, tell me why. I think I know why you're saying you don't agree with it. But uh... so I, I've I've never played Player Unknown Battlegrounds. It's it's just not my style of game. But I do have quite a few people that I work with who love it and say it's a fantastic game. And that has nothing to do with my, my hesitance to include it and, and it's qualification to appear in this list. My, my hesitance to say that it doesn't qualify or my hesitance to say that it qualifies is actually based on the fact that it's a game that's technically still in beta Mm -hmm. and the release window for, the video game awards was last year after the awards, which I think was December 8th. I think it goes December 7th to December 7th every year through this year of December 7th. And I don't think their actual official release is 
until next year. So to me, this would be more of a game that would go into like the ongoing game or something. I, I just don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it, uh, it qualifies here and that's not to knock its importance in the PC gaming realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's weird. Um, I just, as long as it doesn't, uh, try to get nominated for awards next year, you know, as long as the rules don't change and they say, well, now it's officially released yep. so it can double dip kind of thing. Um, yeah. So knowing that that's probably not your choice, uh, what game, uh, do you think will be, or do you want to be game of the year? Well, for me, again, it comes down to, it comes down to the same two that we just discussed in the action adventure. It's, it's a toss up for me between Zelda and horizon zero dawn. Um, and I, I have to give it to, I have to give it to Zelda. I do, however, think that it's a travesty that Nier is not on this list. Yeah, I'm with you there. An absolute travesty. Yeah. I think uh, if I had to put Zelda and Nier next to each other, I would probably still choose Zelda as the, I, maybe. I, I keep going back and forth. I've gone on record as saying Nier Automata is my game of the year. But I, I don't know, the more I think about it, the more I have some distance. I might, The Legend of Zelda may edge it out. So even if I did ultimately vote for The Legend of Zelda as Game of the Year, it does it is a tragedy that it's not that Nier isn't even on the list. So Yeah. Sad but true. Sad Sad but but true. true. All right. The words of the immortal Metallica. Uh, they're dead now, I think, right? I no. think, yeah, most yeah. of them yeah. now, yeah. yeah. I, no, I th- <laughs> they're they're the one musical band from uh, our our formative years that's still alive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everybody else is dropping oh. like flies. They are. They are. Well, cool. that was a fun episode. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to watching the watching the game awards. And actually, mm-hmm. doing this episode has made me more excited for it. I don't usually follow games game awards at the end of the year. I'm too busy trying to carve through my backlog and adding more things to the backlog but this has definitely put me in the mood to check it out everything except for that stupid trending gamers one that's going to be my bathroom break (laughs) why don't you let us know where we can find you caleb Ooh, me i can be found uh in the bushes uh of my neighbor's house um, it's good. It's let's good. see. It's good. That's good. And then, and then in court later on. And in court. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can be found at, on Twitter at Caleb J Ross, C A L E B, the letter J R O S S. I can be found at CalebJRoss.com. Uh, pretty much anywhere online, I am Caleb J Ross. So if you're interested to know if I have an Instagram account, if I have a Facebook account, do Caleb J Ross and you'll find me. Or just find everything at CalebJRoss.com. That's where I can be found. What about you? VG Collectaholic everywhere online Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, a very rarely used Pinterest board that is mostly just people's game rooms. So if you're <laughs> interested in seeing a bunch of game room pictures, not necessarily just mine, but uh, a lot of cool things that people do with their collections and their game setups. And then collectively, we can be found at mastersofunlocking.com. That's where we have our show archive. You can see all of the show notes, see some of the links, see some of the crazy pictures that we put into our, our show notes. And <laughs> you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you put podcasts into your brain, you can find us. On the Twitter, we are MOU Podcast because Masters of Unlocking was just too damn long. <laughs> so, 
We also have a brand new Instagram account for Masters of Unlocking, and uh, we will post our episode announcements there and our cover arts and, and things like that. But also, don't forget about our contest, our free game contest. All you have to do is head over to Twitter and like our pinned post follow us and give us a review we'll put a link to that tweet in the show notes feel so that you can easily check it out be entered to win one of four awesome awesome games for current gen systems don't forget to subscribe if you like our little thing we're doing here we tend to focus on game business and game psychology and sprinkle in a little bit of random tomfoolery and utter dipshittery as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. which is frankly probably the, the the most enlightened part of our of our podcast. yeah we need to increase that sprinkle to a slathering Ooh, i think i do like slatherings especially after mm-hmm. thanksgiving mm. <laughs> slather on that gravy <laughs> well we wish everybody oh. that uh, has been with us we want to thank you and wish you the happiest of holiday seasons hope you all had a wonderful thanksgiving and we will announce our winners to the free game review contest on the very next episode episode 10 of masters of unlocking take care folks